WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Good morning. This is James Flippin filling in for Noam Layden on this Tuesday. It's December 12th. WABC Time Check 501 right now, sponsored by Bulova Watches. And let's get your Ramsey Mazda three-day weather forecast to kick things off. Overcast this morning, but gradually becoming clear around the tri-state later today. Sunny skies expected. We'll get up to 45 degrees in spots. And then tomorrow, Wednesday, sunny. The high near 42. Thursday, more sun, topping out at 41. 36 right now in midtown Manhattan. 35 in Lodi, New Jersey. 34 in Levittown on Long Island. That's the weather forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. So my house is all nicely decorated right now for Christmas. We got the boxes out of the closet, everything set up. We went and got the tree on Saturday, which was a beautiful day. Lots of people out to get it. My former colleague and radio friend, Lisa G., who might be a familiar name to some of you, she came out for brunch. And Manhattanites... I live in New Jersey. Manhattanites are always kind of stunned that life persists beyond the Hudson. You ever notice that? Like in this place, we went out to lunch in Montclair, and it's sort of civilized, so Lisa G. was especially stunned. But we went and got our tree after that nice, lovely brunch, and my husband wasn't so sure we could do that because we have a sedan. We don't have an SUV. We don't have a truck. But I said, no, it's not a problem. They tie the tree on top. So the guy at the tree place said, oh, we've gotten like 12-footers on Mini Coopers before. Don't worry about it. And uh, not too bad. The tree cost us 100 bucks. Not too bad, I'd say. Plus tip. We put the painter's blanket on top of the car. The guy tied the tree on top for us. And I like the fresh tree. You know, I'm not an artificial tree guy. So it's all decorated now, the lights, the ornaments. And I know it's the season when I hear one particular carol. And since it's his birthday, this makes sense today. Oh, by gosh, by golly, it's time for mistletoe and holly. And I don't know why. That song kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies, to be honest with you. But since it's Frank Sinatra, it's his birthday. We just had his bash over the weekend, which was a Bull of a Watches event, by the way. I felt the need to kind of shout that out. So, yes, it is time for mistletoe and holly. Up in the Bronx, nobody was injured in a partial building collapse that unfolded in the Morris Heights section yesterday afternoon. Officials slowly wound down their rescue efforts through the overnight. People in the community left shocked and stunned following the collapse of the apartment building. You see the construction there got cracked and start moving, so everybody started running from there. The corner of the building came down on the sidewalk below. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. Yeah, the FDNY searched the rubble of that 96-year-old seven-story building for nearly seven hours. They used dogs. They used that those robot dogs that you've seen, uh, Boston Dynamics, the original de- uh, developers of those. And basically, you know, fire officials were looking for any hints of life under what were 12-foot-tall debris piles, miraculously, as... You know, we heard there, and Fire Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh said it on social media, only two people suffered minor injuries while evacuating. There are multiple reports now about violations and potential complaints about the building. I heard some reports uh, driving in that were talking about, you know, things like plaster falling down from walls and, you know, clear signs of cracks and stuff like that. But I will say City Buildings Commissioner James Otto downplayed the idea that the building itself 
was more or less doomed at a briefing yesterday. But all of that will be considered as the investigation into that collapse begins. And it was a you know a corner building, a corner apartment building, so just everything kind of fell out and is now exposed there at the corner in the building in Morris Heights. Ousted New York Congressman George Santos is due in court today, and he appeared overnight with Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. And, of course, they spent a lot of time talking about, you know, Santos's ouster from Congress, him getting kicked out a couple of weeks ago now. And Santos said this about being removed from Congress. Let me start off with the process here. Due process is not in Congress. Congress can police itself. That's fine. But they've had had a standard for 200 plus years since the inception of this country and this Congress that they just broke in order to expel me because people don't like me or because it's politically expedient. They have set a dangerous tone. That's George Santos again with Frank Morano. You can get that full interview at WABCradio.com. And one of the things that led, it was kind of the final nail in Santos's coffin, as you know, there's been all kinds of stuff for him here in 2023, allegations that he lied about his background while during the campaign. Uh, he faces a 23-count federal indictment alleging, among other things, improper use of campaign funds. But one of the things that was really the final nail in Santos's coffin was this report from the House Ethics Committee that alleged multiple violations. And Frank asked Santos about that report from the Ethics Committee. The Ethics Committee, to its own admission, did not complete the proper report or proper investigation load in order to recommend an expulsion or any kind of punishment. Therefore, not actually giving any kind of recommendation out of their half-baked findings. As far as me not cooperating, that is false. I cooperated. I accrued over $200,000 in legal fees throughout this process, giving them endless amounts of documents. The majority of the documents that they reviewed were provided to them by me. And meanwhile, Santos continues to reportedly profit off his personalized video messages sold on Cameo. The expelled representative claims he's made more money on the platform Cameo in one week alone than in his $174,000 annual congressional salary. So how about that? If you're as notorious as George Santos, you can apparently go on Cameo and make more than one hundred and seventy-four grand inside of a week. I don't know about that one. All right, WABC News Time, 507. James Flippin filling in this morning for Noam Layden. So we told you that ousted New York Congressman George Santos is set to appear for a status conference in federal court today. A page six report from the New York Post quotes a source stating that Santos was bragging to fellow party guests at a recent Republican gathering here in the city that he was getting nearly $600 a pop per those video messages on Cameo. And apparently, per Santos' bragging, he had about 140 orders inside of one day. Well, that'll help pay for his legal fees as those bills continue to climb. Santos, like we said, faces a 23 federal count indictment alleging wire and credit card fraud, identity theft, and misuse of campaign funds. He has pled not guilty. But reports say that Santos has been negotiating with Eastern District of New York prosecutors who are leading that indictment against him. And those reports are tied to court records. And we told you Frank Morano had Santos on overnight 
and he asked him about that plea deal possibility. I was asked if there was if there were talks, and I simply said yes, there are talks. I didn't admit to anything, and I did not say yes or no to anything. But there are conversations, obviously, taking place. And for, you know, the integrity of the case and of everything going on, we'll leave it at that. And to get ahead of that uh, morning pretrial status conference today, where Santos is expected to appear in person, and I'm reading from what government lawyers wrote in a court filing, the parties are presently engaged in plea negotiations with the goal of resolving this matter without the need for a trial. So the former lawmaker, Santos, he represented New York's 3rd Congressional District as a Republican. And Frank asked Santos about those alleged lies that were told about his background during the campaign. Like, you know, things about whether or not he was or wasn't Jewish, uh, was or wasn't gay, all that kind of stuff. All I can say to you is I am not a bad person. I did not intentionally want to hurt anybody. And if people got hurt, I have apologized. And I will continue to apologize because that's the right thing to do. Santos represented parts of Queens and Long Island in Nassau County. And commuters, business owners, as well as elected officials there in Nassau, are still voicing their concerns about congestion pricing, which is, of course, a New York City plan through the MTA that's slated to begin, if everything goes according to plan, this coming spring. Yesterday, Republican state legislators from Nassau County called congestion pricing a tax meant to punish suburban drivers. The MTA says money from congestion pricing will eventually deliver $15 billion to be invested into mass transit, which does include the Long Island Railroad. And that's something that's kind of worth noting with this whole congestion pricing thing, is that one of New Jersey's big beefs and why Governor Murphy says he's filed a lawsuit, why Congressman Josh Gottheimer is part of some of those efforts, You know, New Jersey basically says, hey, we're not getting anything out of this congestion pricing. The money's not going to the Port Authority. It's not going to NJ Transit. It's only going to the MTA. Long Island at least can, you know, benefit in theory through the money that's going to be invested in the Long Island Railroad. But opponents seem to be pinning their hopes here on stopping congestion pricing on those legal challenges aimed at stopping the plan. And Staten Island Borough President Vito Fasella has also filed a lawsuit that aims to stop congestion pricing. So, have you heard about this legal effort here in the city? It could be expensive if you're the kind of person who leans on the horn. It's the Stop Spreading the Noise Act, a series of bills passed by the New York City Council last week that take aim at cutting down on some of the noise around the city. One bill will expand the city's noise camera program. You might have heard of the speed cameras before. Well, this is something that started as a pilot in early 2022. The city says they currently have seven noise cameras up and running, and another three are slated to be online by the end of the year. So they're like speed cameras in the sense that speed cameras are looking for people driving too fast so that they can mail them tickets. In this case, the noise camera, if it detects a horn or a muffler that's too loud, then they'll take the videos, they'll take the pictures, and send tickets. How about this? $800 for a first-time offense. Up to 2500 for multiple offenses. And with the passing of the bill that controls this, the city plans to have, like we said, at least five of the cameras in each borough, three at least more in addition to the seven up and running right now, finished by the end of the year. 
community boards and local politicians, they're trying to figure out those best locations. New Yorkers sounding off. Everything is now from like 6 in the morning to like 4, 5 in the afternoon. It's just noise. Cars with engines. That's You know, sometimes it messes with the people's hearing. Yeah, so, you know, plenty of people do say something needs to be done about the noise. So they might be on board with that. We got to try something, you know, because this gets outrageous sometimes. Things kind of kind of dope if they actually go with it. If the cameras are able to, like, send a message or send something to that car owner, like, listen, your car is too loud, I, I, I think it will help the community a lot. Maybe if they really attack into it, yeah, why not? I think it will work. No, I would say $800 for a first-time offense would certainly send a message. No question about that. All right, so we'll get more into that Stop Spreading the Noise Act in just a second here. Right now, WABC News Time, 515, and that means it's time to check in with Justin Ellick and get the latest from the world of sports. So, Justin, i got to tell you, I'm a little torn this morning because as a Giants fan, I'm pumped to see that they picked up the W yesterday. But the whole Shohei Otani situation is just sitting in my craw right now. I am... I am very, very unhappy about this deferred contract with Shohei Otani. But please, I'll let you take it away with your morning sports report. Well, uh, I mean, why are you so upset about it? Because it's just a complete mockery of the whole idea of professional sports. You know, yeah. we, we have this luxury tax yeah. that you have to pay. The Yankees and the Dodgers apparently are subjected to the luxury tax. Right. So are like the Red Sox, for example. Right. But the Dodgers don't have to pay it. Well, they I can mean, just set yeah. up this like you know personal services contract, yeah. I guess. Pay, pay Shohei Otani, a, what, a million dollars a year and then defer all the money? I mean, what are we doing here? I, but the problem is, James, it's not against the rules. I mean, uh, you know, Jeff Passan yesterday posted the uh, the exact uh, paragraph in the CBA for the MLB that states that you can defer any amount of money that you want. So, you know, the fact that the Dodgers were just the first ones to figure that out, I mean, you can't knock well, them for I, that. I don't want to step on your whole report because I don't know if you're including that. But basically, <laughs> they're they're paying Otani like $2 million a year. Yes. And then at the end of the contract, they pay him the six ninety or yeah, whatever, so right? Yeah, we'll hear the details. So the historic contract will see him defer $68 million of his annual $70 million salary, significantly lower, lowering, I should say, his team's uh, payroll and potential tax burden. Right. So the Dodgers did announce, obviously, on Monday that they signed him, uh, the two-time MVP, after Otani had agreed to a 10-year $700 million contract, by far the richest in the history of North American professional sports. And then uh, that the majority of that contract would come in deferred money under the structure. Otani is deferring more than 97% of his earnings. The deferred money totaling $680 million by the end of his contract will be paid to Otani between 2034 and 2043. So at least for the next 10 years, he's only getting paid $2 million a year, which is, annually is a CBT tax hit of uh, about $45 million, which is in the more understandable range uh, for uh, the highest contracts in baseball. I, I think Mike Trout annual uh, CBT is, is somewhere around that as well. So, And he's the second highest paid player in baseball. So I think it just brings it more down. It, it kind of evens out the playing field on an annual basis uh, for the Dodgers at least. They, and they uh, should have done something where they, you know, if they had, if baseball was a proper professional sport <laughs> and had a salary cap or something like that, right, they could have said should. you have to sign him to a contract yeah. as a pitcher and yeah. as a position player. Understood. And, and then and, you and, figure out how the parameters of that are going to work. Right. Or whatever, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I think the whole thing needs to shake up. I think a salary cap is, uh, is for sure something that should be considered, especially yep. when you're getting 
in the realm of $700 million well, over 10 years. I don't know years. when that CBA expires next, but baseball, I, I right. predict they're looking at a strike. Listen, I hate the Dodgers as much as you do. They do they've do. they done whatever they want for uh, for as long as I can remember, and it's uh, it's frustrating. I mean, every offseason they go out and they get what, whoever they want. They spend however much they want, but you're seeing the same thing with... You know, to to a certain extent, Steve Cohen in Queens. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you're trying that he's trying to build out in Queens with the Mets. So it's the same sort of deal. And uh, I don't know. I think that just because the Dodgers were the first ones to figure it out, I think you'll see a lot of big contract names now. Like if I'm Aaron Judge, I'm walking into Yankee Stadium this morning right into the front office, and I'm saying restructure my contract. Yeah. You know, why not? I agree. All right, over to the gridiron here. Uh, very, very boring. Uh, yeah, very boring. Exactly. A lot of numbers. <laughs> a lot of numbers and very boring. Fun with math on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the gridiron last night, Tommy DeVito, he was not boring. He threw a 32-yard pass to Wandale Robinson to set up Randy Bullock's 37-yard field goal. As time expired and the Giants beat the Green Bay Packers 24-22 to to hand the Packers their first December loss since 2019. In Miami, uh, Tennessee Titans quarterback Will Levis. <laughs> What's that? Oh, no, sorry. Sid just uh, stuck his hand in my face. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I know you have to do He's got to do his cameos. I was sitting here trying to do sports. He's like, he's like recording his cameos. Yeah, there you go. Got Miami, the Titans. They shock uh, the uh, Miami Dolphins. Quarterback Will Levis directed two touchdown drives in the final four and a half minutes to help the Titans rally to stun the Dolphins by a score of 28 to 27. How about that? The uh, Dolphins were 13.5-point favorites going into that one. On the hard way to the Garden, Julius Randle scored 34 points. Quentin Grimes had a season-high 19, and the Knicks shook off some bad injury news to beat the uh, Toronto Raptors 136-130. to They had a new starting center for the first time this season after Mitchell Robinson sustained a stress fracture in his left ankle. Uh, the injury will require surgery for the NBA leader in offensive rebounds and a recovery of at least eight weeks. In Sacramento, the Nets fell to the Kings by a score of 131-118. to They'll try and get back to the win column tomorrow night in Phoenix. On the ice in Elmont, Bo Horvat scored 47, uh, 46 seconds in overtime, I should say, as the Isles recovered after giving up a two-goal lead and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs by a score of 4-3. to Tonight, the Rangers are back on the ice at home, getting said to welcome in the aforementioned Maple Leafs for a 7 p.m. a puck drop. Uh, James, <laughs> that's sports. And I'm just now like that. <laughs> oh, thank you. One of the best I've ever heard. Oh, really? Because Flippin got involved. Yeah. <laughs> get out so I do my cameo so I'm making right. money. Yeah, i got to get back to work for you. That's a waste of time. My <laughs> God. Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 523. James Flippin filling in this morning for Noam Layden on the WABC 5 a.m. News Hour. So Jack Smith, a very generic-sounding name. Maybe you've heard of him. We're talking specifically here about the special counsel prosecuting former President Trump. And Smith is asking for the Supreme Court to decide right now on the issue of presidential immunity. Smith has skipped a federal appeals court, which would have been the typical next step in terms of this kind of process. He's going directly to the high court to determine whether or not Trump is immune from prosecution for alleged crimes he may have committed while in office. It may just decide, you know what, we're not going to step in at this point. Or it may say, you know what? This is a very important issue. We need to resolve this issue right now. The reason being is because there is an election coming up. I believe that Jack Smith wants this trial to begin before the election, and he wants the Supreme Court to answer that fundamental question about whether a former president is immune from criminal prosecution right away. And that's White House correspondent John Decker with that report. He's also an attorney. And, yeah, I mean, there's no question about it that if Smith was going through, like we said, the normal process here, he would go next with the federal appeals court. 
and ask them to determine whether or not Trump can actually face criminal charges tied back to his time as president. Because if you remember, Trump was impeached twice. He wasn't convicted, but he was impeached twice, which is more or less like being indicted as president. And that's the process that you go through when you're talking about the chief executive of the federal government. So now, in essence, Smith is trying to figure out, okay, can we bring this case to trial? I want to do it as soon as possible because, you know, again, depending on your perspective, it's a political process that's also kind of intended to stop Trump from being able to run again. So they're saying, all right, we need the Supreme Court to decide on this. You know, what's fair ball here? Can we actually prosecute Trump in this fashion? Smith's case against Trump alleges that he engaged in conspiracy to attempt to overturn the 2020 election results. And Trump has previously said he had the right, even the duty, to investigate claims of voter fraud. And some of this is all tied up in what happened on January 6th as well. Special counsel David Weiss is the prosecutor that is investigating Hunter Biden, the president's son. And, of course, Hunter Biden was just hit with an additional nine tax crimes out of California, three of them felonies. And first son, Hunter Biden's attorney, Abe Lowell, was on Morning Joe on MSNBC yesterday. And Lowell says his client was indicted because of his proximity to power. It's because his last name is Biden, but it's not like they're going after, you know, some distant cousin. It's because he is the son of the president who's named Biden. The Republicans and anybody else that's been investigating on the right wing media, for example, have tried and tried to say that President Biden has done something wrong. They can't find a shred of evidence because he hasn't. And yet they want this to be an issue. Again, that audio courtesy of MSNBC was last week when Hunter Biden said Republicans are trying to use him to destroy his father's presidency. And that was something that Biden said with Moby, the techno music DJ, on Moby's podcast, Moby Pod. And that was an interview that came out the day after Hunter Biden had been charged with those tax crimes in California. So Hunter's attorney, Hunter himself, more or less saying no fair. If you're flying over the Christmas break, you're not alone. Many will be taking to the skies. In fact, air travel is expected to break records during the holiday season. In the 10-day travel period between Christmas and New Year's, AAA predicts there will be 7.5 million air travelers. That narrowly beats the pre-pandemic record set in 2019, perhaps buoyed by slightly cheaper airfares. Add to that 104 million going by car, another 4 million using other transportation. AAA says this is shaping up to be the second busiest holiday travel period since they started tracking numbers in 2000. I'm Rory O'Neill. On either side of Manhattan, just generally around, we're looking at a pretty decent day traffic-wise. Again, New Jersey Transit, Morris and Essex Line, modified schedule. They're running between New York and Morristown. Still overhead wire damage in Mount Tabor. They're cross-honoring on New Jersey Transit buses and the Newark Light Rail. Everybody else is on or close to schedule, and alternate side again today is in effect. Make the holidays merry and bright in 2024. Porsche Macan, at least for $9.49 a month for 39 months. Ray Katina Porsche in Edison. 5638 do it signing qualified buyers tax licensing registration fees extra details raycatinaporsche.com I'm Joe Nolan with traffic on Talk Radio 77 WABC 
WABC News Time 529 coming up against our break here. And when we come back, we can't promise the numbers won't make your head hurt. But what is this funny money stuff the Dodgers are doing with Shohei Otani? Plus, the latest on the Bronx building collapse. Google just lost a big case. And what's going on with the Texas mom who's trying to have an abortion given her baby's likely birth defect? Those stories and more on the WABC News Hour when we come back. I'm James Flippin. The 77 WABC News Hour. Good morning, James Flippin, filling in for Noam Layden on this Tuesday, December 12th. Let's get you your Ramsey Mazda three-day weather forecast here. Overcast this morning, but gradually becoming clear. And then later today, we're looking at sunny skies getting up to 45 degrees. Tomorrow, Wednesday, sunny, the high near 42. And then Thursday, more sun, topping out at 41. 35 degrees in midtown Manhattan right now. 34 in New Jersey in Lodi. And 33 in Levittown on Long Island. That's the weather forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. And I'm James Flippin, filling in for Noam Layden this morning. So in about uh, 13 minutes, we'll get our official sports report from Justin Ellick. But this is something I just kind of have to get on my soapbox about concerning the fact that Shohei Otani, the slugger pitcher, the two-way star that's just recently signed as of this weekend, a massive and record $700 million contract to be a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers, turns out that he's going to be deferring a good portion of that contract. That Basically, the way they're going to do it is they're paying Otani 10 over 10 years, it's a $700 million contract, the largest in U.S. sports history. But the star will defer $68 million of that annual $70 million salary in an effort to lower the Dodgers' payroll and tax issues. The deferred money will eventually be paid to Otani between 2034 and 2043. And if you're not really hip to the way pro baseball works, they have this thing called the competitive balance tax. So the highest spending teams like the Dodgers, like the Red Sox, like the Yankees, like the Mets. There's this luxury tax that you pay. Uh, they don't have a salary cap. So whatever your you know total payroll goes over this one number that's allowed to be spent on your roster, you, you pay a fee. You pay a penalty. Well, apparently the Dodgers don't want to pay that fee or penalty. So they're just going to do this special uh, setup where they only pay them $2 million dollars like as if this is 1990 and it's Bobby Bonilla signing a contract. But this would be like the Jets paying Tom Brady like $20 million to be an usher at MetLife. But then they actually also pay him $50,000 to play quarterback on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's very unfair. ESPN and Major League Baseball have announced they'll broadcast four international games next year across three continents as Otani's L.A. Dodgers debut will be televised as part of the Seoul Series in South Korea, that'll be in late March. And then in April, ESPN will nationally broadcast a game during the Mexico City Series. And then over the summer, the MLB London Series will air on ESPN. By the way, that London Series features your New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies. That's a two-game regular series, June 8th and 9th. Virginia Republican Rep Bob Good is being elected to serve as the next chairman for the House Freedom Caucus, Pennsylvania Representative Scott Perry is the current chair, but he's term limited. The conservative group of almost 40 members, the House Freedom Caucus, chose Representative Good during a closed-door meeting yesterday. He, one of eight Republicans who, by the way, voted to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker 
earlier this year. And we know that McCarthy will resign his seat as a California congressman in January. Google has lost an antitrust lawsuit from video game company Epic Games after a jury found the Google Play phone app is an illegal monopoly. Epic Games is the maker of that popular Fortnite game, and they've been fighting with Google and Apple for years over how the app's stores payment sharing systems work. Basically, the company changed its software so customers could pay Epic directly to get around paying Google as much as 30%. Because within these games like Fortnite, you can buy certain things, right? Like whether it's clothing for your characters or a special weapon they use or some kind of, you know, kit they use to build something. You pay actual real, you know, American dollars for that. But somebody's taken a piece of it. And whether it's Epic Games or Google or Apple or whoever it may be, it's a fight over who gets how much. So the company had changed its software so Google Epic could be paid directly, getting around Google paying 30%. And then that game, Fortnite, got kicked off Google's platform. They said, all right, if you're not going to give us all the money, you're out. Well, yesterday, a jury found Google was operating an illegal monopoly through its app. Google says it plans to appeal. The Texas mother at the center of a lawsuit over the state's abortion ban has left the state to get health care from somewhere else. The Center for Reproductive Rights says in a statement that Kate Cox is getting her health care somewhere else. As difficult as Kate's situation is, she had the means to be able to leave the state of Texas. That is not the case for most people. They don't have the financial means. They can't take the time off from work. They have child care. That's Nancy Northup, an attorney working on Cox's case, the woman's unborn baby, has been diagnosed with a fatal condition. Basically, the, the, the it's a chromosomal discrepancy or, or deficiency, I believe, on the 18th chromosome. And that typically leads to stillbirth or a baby that will be born and, you know, struggled through its opening moments and then pass away. But at the same time, given Texas's laws concerning abortion and stuff like that, Cox's doctors apparently refused to end the pregnancy over fears of prosecution. So last week, a court ruled in Cox's favor, but that was immediately paused by the state Supreme Court. So as you heard, she is seeking care elsewhere. All right. Today, along Wall Street, traders are keeping their eyes open as we'll get the latest CPI. We'll get the latest inflation data. And that's something that we'll talk about in just a second here. So today, uh, along Wall Street, the latest inflation data will come out, and the Fed's December policy meeting also gets underway today. Uh, Wednesday, we'll get the Fed's latest rate decision. The market has been pricing in a continued pause on rates, and looking ahead to next year, it seems like market experts expect more of the same. Yesterday, stocks finished in positive territory. The Dow was up, and really, uh, it looks like, the market consensus is that the CPI, consumer prices, will have likely stayed flat month over month, and that would be the second straight month that that was the case. Falling gas prices have apparently balanced out some increases in terms of prices going up for things like used cars and uh, travel, hotel rooms are up. And then the expectation is that that should be enough to keep the Federal Reserve on hold this week. But, again, the whole question is whether or not the central bank will be a little bit more 
dovish next year or if they'll continue their hawkish pursuit in response to inflation. Well, following this past weekend's deadly tornadoes in Tennessee, Taylor Swift is lending a helping hand. The global superstar and now Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2023 has donated $1 million to the Tennessee Emergency Response Fund at the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee. Prior to Swift's rise to international fame as a pop singer, she did get her start in the country music world. And, of course, Tennessee's Nashville is both the state capital and the unofficial capital of country music. Some suburbs in and around Nashville where those tornadoes hit this weekend. And Swift attended high school in one of the counties hit hardest. Those tornadoes left at least six people dead and dozens more injured. You can see a dresser, a bed underneath, ripped pieces of insulation exposed to the sky. This is also an area that the Tennessee governor called heartbreaking to walk through. There have been other areas hard hit. That's Marissa Parra reporting. Two adults, one child amongst those killed. Three others died in Madison. The two adults and one child were in Clarksville, Tennessee. And state officials say the tornadoes caused extensive damage across the Nashville suburbs. About eight hours east of there in Garner, North Carolina, tornado cleanup is underway. The National Weather Service confirms it was an F1 tornado that touched down in Garner. The Weather Service says the tornado was on the ground for about four minutes, traveled more than a mile and a half, and had winds of up to 110 miles per hour. No one was seriously injured, but the twister did uproot several trees and damaged a good many houses and buildings. No nearby schools were damaged, and the school day continued as normal. I'm Scott Kimbler. Back here in the city, FDNY Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh calls it, mirac- calls it miraculous that only two people suffered minor injuries in yesterday's building collapse, partial building collapse anyway, in the Morris Heights section of the Bronx. And apparently the building had some safety concerns ahead of time. The head of the Department of Buildings, James Otto, says the most recent report was back in 2021. That report did find unsafe facade conditions, seven of them. Uh, Mortar that was deteriorating, cracked bricks. And Otto says the building does have an open work permit. There are drawings that were submitted as part of the process to pull the permit. That speaks to the part of the right lower corner that is collapsed. Yeah, the building basically just kind of sheared off from itself on the corner there up in Morris Heights, and uh, the two people were hurt while evacuating. Some of the open violations at the building there are structural. None of them are structural related, so the investigation continues. Officials say work was being done on the seven-story building, which is on Billingsley Terrace, Work being done as of a few days ago. Otto says the Department of Buildings will take a close look at all open permit work. And that's, of course, something that they're looking at as they focus on the part of the building that collapsed. So reports out this week say that China has been engaging in some cyber attacks or some hacking events and looking to work its way into critical American cyber infrastructure. Now, this went on for over a year before being detected. And according to a report from the Washington Post, known targets include the water utility in Hawaii, a port on the West Coast, and an oil and gas pipeline. And more or less, according to the report, the goal for China would be to leverage their position over the U.S. in a bid to create chaos, cause panic, and disrupt logistics. That's per a report from the Fox News, from Fox News, I should say. But 
The Washington Post report talks about hackers tied to the China's People's Liberation Army that gained access to more than two dozen critical systems in what was referred to as the Volt Typhoon cyber campaign. WABC News Time 545. We're going to turn over to the WABC Sports Desk now and say good morning to Justin Ellick. Good morning, James Flippin. We'll begin on the gridiron at MetLife last night. Tommy DeVito threw a 32-yard pass to Wondell Robinson to set up Randy Bullock's 37-yard field goal as time expired. And the Giants beat the Green Bay Packers 24-22 to to hand the Packers their first December loss since 2019. Out in Miami, Tennessee Titans quarterback Will Levis directed two touchdown drives in the final four and a half minutes to help Tennessee rally to stun the Dolphins by a score of 28-27. to On the hardwood at the Garden, Julius Randle scored 34. Quentin Grimes had a season-high 19, and the Knicks took off some bad injury news to beat the Toronto Raptors 136-130. to Out in Sacramento, the Nets fell to the Kings by a score of 131-118. to On the ice in Elmont, Bo Horvath scored 46 seconds into overtime as the Islanders recovered after giving up a two-goal lead to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs by a score of 4-3. Tonight, the Rangers are back on the ice at home, getting set to welcome in the aforementioned Toronto Maple Leafs for a 7 p.m. puck drop. James, that's sports, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Thank you very much, Justin. And, uh, of course, if you didn't see it yesterday with that successful Giants game, Tommy DeVito's agent, it just needs to be noted, looks like he could be uh, a gangster in a James Cagney movie. I mean, Tommy DeVito is kind of taking the whole New York sports world by storm right now with his story of living at home and the the chicken cutlets with his mom and Essex County and the whole thing. His dad, who I've mentioned on this show before, happens to be my plumber, is also right at a central casting. But if you saw Tommy DeVito's agent yesterday with the pinstripe suit, the black fedora, I mean, you, you can't make this guy up. You really can't. All right, WABC News Time, 547. Before our sports and traffic reports, we were talking about alleged cyber attacks launched by China. Well, believe it or not, it's been nearly a month since President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping had that meeting in San Francisco. And while there, both men agreed to resume communication between each nation's militaries. But there's been no movement since. For example, Biden said after that November meeting with Xi in California's Bay Area that a military hotline would be restored. But U.S. officials say they've gotten no response from Beijing on that since China cut off contact in 2022 after then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made a visit to Taiwan, which got Beijing all in a tussle as that self-ruled island is claimed by China as its own territory. The Biden administration defending its decision to veto a U.N. resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller says a general ceasefire would allow the leaders of Hamas to control Gaza and plot future attacks on Israel. He noted the administration's pushing for temporary pauses in fighting to allow for the release of hostages and humanitarian aid to flow into the Gaza Strip, of course, that recent ceasefire, a good example of that. This veto came during an immediate, an emergency U.N. Security Council meeting Friday as civilian casualties in Gaza are an ongoing concern. The move prompted criticism from global leaders and human rights groups. Local Congresswoman AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, among those critical, shameful, she said. Meanwhile, Israel says its soldiers have surrounded the final Hamas strongholds in the northern Gaza Strip. 
as its war against that militant group continues. As Israel continues its military offensive against Hamas in Gaza, food is now scarce, diseases are spreading, and one former hostage made a last-minute appeal to save the rest of the hostages, saying the time is running out. That's Richard Engel reporting. Israel's defense minister says Hamas battalions in the region are on the verge of dismantling, and this as attacks in the southern portion of the Gaza Strip have really been stepped up recently. And more than 18,000 people, counting those killed on both sides, at least according to reporting from both Israeli and Palestinian officials, 18,000 killed, dating back to October 7th. Hamas continues to hold scores of hostages after the humanitarian ceasefire broke down. Health officials warn that humanitarian conditions are deteriorating fast with intense fighting in Gaza's largest southern city. Over 19,000 people have been killed since the fighting started on October the 7th. Qatari officials said on Monday the country is attempting to move forward with hostage release negotiations after talks collapsed. This comes as Israel released the names of 20 hostages held by Hamas that are believed to be dead. I'm Mark Mayfield. Back here in New York, but relevant to the Israel-Hamas war and its fallout, Governor Kathy Hochul is warning of consequences for New York universities as members of its student body, potentially people on campus, call for the genocide of Jews. Governor Hochul penning a letter to the presidents of colleges and universities across New York, threatening them with the loss of state funding and potential legal action if they let anti-Semitism go unchecked on their campuses. The governor's threats clearly motivated by the Capitol Hill testimony last week by the presidents of Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, and MIT when they refused to condemn hate speech against Jews at their schools. Noam Layton, WABC News. And by the way, speaking of that whole issue in terms of that disastrous testimony from the presidents of UPenn, MIT, Harvard, Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, one of the individuals who delivered the testimony, she's now being accused of plagiarism. Apparently, according to the allegations, she plagiarized numerous academics over the course of her academic career, at times lifting entire paragraphs and claiming them as her own work. And that's according to reviews by scholars and That is also reporting contained in a piece in the Washington Free Beacon, which is admittedly a right-leaning outlet, the Beacon's reporting says, in four papers published between 1993 and 2017, including her doctoral dissertation, Gay, a political scientist, paraphrased or quoted nearly 20 authors, including two of her colleagues in Harvard University's Department of Government, without proper attribution. And that is according to a Washington Free Beacon analysis. That said, Gay's own thesis advisor called it absurd in an interview with the Daily Beast yesterday. There's not a conceivable case that this is plagiarism, said Professor Gary King, who explained that Gay's work underwent extensive review and never provoked even a suggestion of paragraph pinching in more than a quarter century. And again, Professor King says Gay's dissertation in every draft I read met the highest academic standards. That all said, there have been numerous calls for gay to step down following that testimony on capitol hill and speaking of the daily beast they also reported yesterday about the fact that saturday night live alum cecily strong made a surprise appearance at nbc's studio h over the weekend but she's typically played representative elise stefanik of new york 
And in run-throughs of the show's cold open, she was playing Stefanik, who was, um, you know, again, caught up in this, this cold open, this, this opening skit that Saturday Night Live had this past weekend where they depicted that testimony on Capitol Hill concerning anti-Semitism on campus. Well, we know that Saturday Night Live alum Strong uh, decided against playing Stefanik, and it's not really clear as to why. Apparently, cast member Chloe Troast bro, uh, took her place. But the New York Post says Strong was uncomfortable with that sketch, with the cold open, which really mocked the disastrous hearing in which the presidents of the three universities were hesitant to condemn calls for genocide. So as to why she wasn't a part of that skit or you know whether or not she truly was uncomfortable with it ahead of time, that's in question. The majority of Americans say they support Israel's military response to Hamas, according to a poll out this week. A Wall Street Journal poll shows that 55 percent of respondents say they think Israel is taking necessary action to defend itself after the Hamas attack in October. Meanwhile, one in four said Israel's actions are going too far. The survey also found that Americans are more likely to sympathize with Israelis over Palestinians, while one in three said they sympathize equally with both sides. Over 40 percent say they side more with Israel, and only 12 percent say they sympathize more with Palestinians. Political party is a big indicator of that number, with only 2 percent of Republicans saying they side more with Palestinians compared to 17 percent of Democrats. I'm Michael Kastner. Additional funding for Ukraine will likely be delayed until 2024. That's according to Texas Senator John Cornyn, who said yesterday the delay would be because there isn't enough time before Christmas. Additional funding for Ukraine will likely be delayed until 2024 in a bid to reach a deal on border security. As many Republicans have said, any additional aid for Ukraine must be paired with southern border reforms. And Christmas recess in the Senate is set to begin after this week. Staying down there in the nation's capital, President Biden will host a meeting with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky at the White House today. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby telling reporters the meeting comes at a time when Russian forces are ramping up attacks on civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. Zelensky's visit coming as negotiations for emergency aid continue. Like we said, the Biden administration has called on Congress to pass its more than $100 billion package for Ukraine, Israel, and other national security priorities. And again, Republicans say that they'll support that package if it comes with significant U.S. border policy changes. And Zelensky's also scheduled to meet with lawmakers on Capitol Hill today. WABC Time Check 559 right now, sponsored by Boulevard Watches, and you can discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. We're going to turn to executive producer Justin Ellick to find out what's coming up on Sid and Friends in the Morning today. Thank you, James Flippin, Tuesday morning with Sid and all of his friends. Bottom of each hour, you don't want to miss the mini-cast clip of the day-to-day today. It'll feature the Cats and Cosby radio program in the way of guests. Kicking things off at 7.10 this morning. It'll be Curtis Sliwa live in studio, as is the case every day. 7.45, we'll get lit, uh, Rich Lowry on the program for his uh, weekly hit with Sid. Missed him yesterday. 8.15, 8.20 around, we'll have Alina Haba on the program. Of course, part of uh, former President Donald Trump's legal team. 8.45, we'll do Alan Dershowitz, another lawman, before Janine Pirro. 
colleague of ours, 9-10 this morning on the program, and another colleague, back-to-back colleagues, maybe. We'll have Greg Kelly on the show at 9-30, wrapping things out, James. So, that 9 o'clock hour will be a little uh, WABC talent uh, soiree, if you will. Back it, to you, James. It absolutely shall. WABC News Time, 6 a.m. That building collapse up in the Morris Heights section of the Bronx continues to be investigated. Amazingly, just two minor injuries there in the Morris Heights section, and the FDNY searched throughout the night, looking under those 12-foot-tall debris piles, but just two minor injuries. And that's it for us here on the WABC 5 a.m. News Hour. I'm James Flippin. Catch you tomorrow.